scripture lesson today comes from the good news according to St. Luke. Uh, Let's share in God's good word together. Mary said, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. God chose to come from heaven, the throne of the Almighty, to earth, to become in human form a baby with no place in this world for him, a world that would hate him and spit on him and kill him. Jesus came for the least and the last and the lost. From now till Easter, we're going to move through the grand sweep of the Gospel of Luke. We're going to start at the beginning, and we're going to end at the cross, and then, of course, Easter morning, the resurrection. And with the resurrection, we are Easter people. Amen? That's who we are. People depending on God himself, Jesus himself. He's risen from the dead, that even death could not hold our God. And that's good news. And so, from now through um, Easter, we're going to be looking at the Gospel of Luke. Um, and and as, you, as Luke looks at it, you find him with outlaws and with outcasts and with outsiders. And have you all ever uh, been an outsider? I, I have. I have. And it is to an outsider, to a peasant girl, that God comes. Adam Hamilton, in his book, Um, by the same name, he says this, it is on the lips of Mary that Luke lays out the theme of his gospel. God looks with favor on those of low status. Of low status. Many of you all know that I was a preacher's kid, grew up. Uh, My dad was in the United Methodist Ministry more than 50 years. And so I was born in Ringling, Oklahoma, outside, it's a suburb of Ardmore. And then from there we moved to Prattville, Uh, which was a suburb of Sand Springs, which is a suburb of Tulsa. And then we moved to Bartlesville, and then to Guthrie, and from Guthrie to Fairview, and Fairview to Lawton. I went to school at Oklahoma State, and my folks continued to move a little bit until Dad retired. I'd gone at one season to five schools in six years. The new kid. 
year after year after year after year after year. And some of you who are military families know exactly what I'm talking about. You do this. It's your life. And it can be difficult. My, ma- my last major move um, was to Fairview, 1984 to 86. I kind of look superimposed there, don't I? Like, hey. But I'm really there. Chantel took the picture, uh, for real. Um, but, you know, partly, I wanted, I wanted her to see, um, you know, where, where I graduated. And so, um, my first day of school went something like this, you know, being the new kid. My, it was actually, it was an emergency deal where the bishop had called my dad because the pastor of the town um, had quit and bought the house next to the parsonage. And so it was a very difficult, difficult season, difficult place. And, and dad was there to kind of heal the place and, and bring folks together. Well, what that meant was I was moving in the middle of a snowstorm in January, for real. And my dad's back was out, so I was moving all of his office and all the stuff. My sister was at college. And so by the time I even got to school, I was exhausted just trying to figure out how to do trigonometry. Just wiped out. And so my first day of school, I, I asked, you know, asked the questions like, what do you do for lunch? At Guthrie, it was a closed campus. Everybody, you know, went to the cafeteria. So I just said, you know, where's the cafeteria? And they said, oh, well, you catch the bus. You know, everybody just catches the bus. You go over to the brand new elementary center. Um, everybody eats together, the whole school system, because um, it's a small town. And then you come back over, and that's that. So, okay. So I, I get to the line where everybody's supposedly going to line up, and it's me and about six other kids. I'm like, that's weird. And then the bus shows up, but it was a short line and a short bus. And just a few of us got on. And then... Sure enough, we went over to the elementary center, but as I got there, I realized that something was off. I didn't see any other sophomores there, or juniors, or seniors, or freshmen, or eighth graders, or seventh graders. What I saw were second graders, all at their table. I had my, in my tray, got my stuff. I'm getting waved off by second graders. I like, no, no, keep moving. We don't know you, dude, right? So here I am, new kid at school, knees up by my ears, having lunch on my first day of school. Great. What do you do when you get to a place and you feel like nobody wants you there? Nobody. I graduated with 54 people, 50 of whom started kindergarten together. So when I say I was outside, I was way outside. There were four of us, me, the Nazarene preacher's kid, coach's kid that was new, and a good friend of mine who had lost both his parents in a tragic accident and had to go live with his aunt. And then there was everybody else. Some of you have been in places like that. It's important to me personally then that we're a church that welcomes everybody that's ever experienced that. That there are no outsiders here. There's no inner circle and outer circle. There's just the circle, the children of God. That's it. So as the, you know, lunch ended, I got back on the bus, 
And I thought, you know, the day couldn't get any worse, really. Till I got off the bus. Remember those same kids that had told me to get on the bus, laughing their heads off, pointing at me. Ah, look at the stupid new kid. He didn't know anything. That's a great first day of school. Some of you, it's not school anymore. You experience that in your work or you experience that in your neighborhood, maybe even experience that in your family system. And the good news is that God came for you. For you. When we look at Jesus, he is always with the least, the last, the lost. He's always with those outcasts and the outlaws and the outsiders. That's who he came for. And he's very clear about that in the Gospel of Luke. Luke's all about the outsider in ways that Matthew is written differently. So when we look at this Gospel of Luke, what are we looking at? Well, we know that Luke, um, depending on, on who you read and whether you're a more conservative theologian or super liberal theologian, on, on the left side, on, on, the, on the conservative side, you're going to say that this is actually Luke, the disciple. And on this side, they're going to say we don't really know. But in any case, what we do know is the author of this book traveled with Paul. And that's important because Paul is the earliest text we have. And so if you look, Luke wrote Luke Acts. It's like a, a two-DVD set. I know you don't know what DVDs are. But just think of two things, like chapter one, chapter two. They go together. They're not in the Bible like that, but that's, they go together. And it's written between 75 and 90, right? So it isn't the earliest written. It's not even the earliest gospel written. The gospel of Mark is the earliest written, um, about five to ten years earlier. So it's most likely that Luke, who had been with Paul, also had the gospel of Mark to work with. And we, we think this because everything that's in Mark is pretty much in Matthew and Luke, uh, but not in reverse. And so this, this is how we get uh, the gospel of Luke. But what's important that we understand here is these are not biographies. It's not the biography of Luke or Mark. It's good news. It's gospel. It's the gospel of Jesus. It's about God himself, what God is like so that you might know him. It's not a biography. It wasn't written that way. And when you read it that way, you miss a lot. There's a lot more there than the simple biography. So the Gospel of Luke was written, if you look at the very beginning, it says it's written to a person called Theophilus, which could have been a person's name. More than likely, though, it means friend of God, lover of God. Well, how do you get there? If you look at the Greek, theo, right, theology, is God. And Philus, like Philadelphia, is brotherly love. So it's a friend of God. That's what we know about this person. So if you love God, if you want to be a friend of God, or you just want to know more about God, then this sermon series is for you. The Gospel of Luke is for you. It's for you. And the wonderful thing about Luke is that he shows us from the very beginning that you're never too old and you're never too young. God works at the margins and everywhere in between. So at the very beginning of Luke, what you find uh, is this. In the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly order of Abijah. And his wife was a descendant of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Both of them were right before God, righteous, meaning doing the right thing before God, living blamelessly according to all the commandments and regulations of the Lord, but they had no children because Elizabeth was barren, and both were getting on in years. If you read the NRSV, it's so polite. It's so polite. They were just getting on in years. No, they're old. They're very old, according to the Common English Bible. Now, if you look at other translations, they just say, no, 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 they're old. They just call it. Well, I'll say, well, what, what's old? Like, is it is old like old today or old like old in the Bible? Is, is it the same? Is it different? Well, in the Bible, in Bible times, 
Younger adults in Jesus' day, they were to stand when someone over 60 walked into the room. So I'm 55. I'm almost old, according to the Bible. That's what old is. But that's not where Luke starts. He doesn't start with the old. He starts with the very old, Elizabeth and Zechariah. And they're going to give birth at that age to the prophet John the Baptist, the forerunner of Christ himself. But not just them. There's also a prophetess named Anna. Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age. Now, so there's old, there's very old, and then there's great age. Right? Just keep, keep going. Having lived with her husband seven years and after her marriage, then as a widow, to the age of 84. 84. And she never left the temple, but she worshiped there with fasting and prayer night and day. And at that moment, she came and began to praise God and speak about Jesus, the child the Son of God who was coming to the earth to save us from our sins, to all who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. God chose an 84-year-old woman who was at the church all the time to say, yes, here's the Messiah. Here's the Messiah. An 84-year-old widow. Now, when you think about leadership in the church or leadership in your organization, is an 84-year-old widow on the top of your list? When's the last time you talked to an 84-year-old widow? Those folks can kind of get pushed to the side. But if we look at the biblical witness, if we look at what God has done over the history of the world, what we find is that God does this all the time. If you want to know something really big is going to happen, just look for God working with a person of great age. Abraham and Sarah, they were 190. 190 years old, respectively, when God gave them their son, Isaac. Moses was 80, the greatest prophet before Jesus, Moses, the one who led God's people out to Egypt at 80. You say, well, that was, that was then, you know, that's a different day, it's a different thing, it doesn't, doesn't happen now. Some of you will know this. Do you, do you know who painted that painting? That's beautiful. I love it. It's really cool, kind of folksy. Her name is Anna Marie Robertson, Moses better known as Grandma Moses. You may have heard of her. She began her painting career at 78. Painting was always a dream of hers, but, you know, life got in the way. Uh, Family, kids, all that. She didn't really have a chance to pursue her dreams until later in life. She lived to 101. And she became so prolific in her paintings, so good at it, that she's world-renowned, Grandma Moses. And in 2006, one of those paintings went for $1.2 million dollars. My grandma Moses. She began her painting career at 78 and lived to 101. What might God do with you? He's not done with you. Make no mistake, he is not done with you. If you're breathing, he's not done with you. Some of you might know about Gladys Burrell. She's my hero. She began to run marathons at 86. Y'all know what a marathon is, right? 26 and something miles. At 86, and she ran for six years until she was 92. Right? I mean, the lady is awesome. Right? I don't think I'll ever run a marathon. I don't think I've ever wanted to. And here she is, just killing it. Or, or maybe you've heard about Harlan Sanders. He started a business franchise at 62, and, and just 12 years later, he sold it for $2 million at the age of 74. You know, I mean, I know you know him. 
right? It's amazing what God can do with you and 11 herbs and spices. You never know what God can do, right? So friends, hear me. If you're an older adult, Adam Hamilton says this right. God is not finished with you yet. God is not finished with you yet. So um, look around you and tell somebody, God's not finished with you yet. Tell them, God's not finished with you yet. Whoever you are, God is not finished with you yet. Hear the word of the Lord through your brother or your sister. Friends, you you know this is true. We don't talk about it much. But the truth is grandparents are raising 2.55 million of our children. We need to thank God for that. Grandparents are showing up. In some cases, showing off about how good they are. They've had lots of practice. We've got lots and lots of families in our church where if it weren't for grandma and grandpa, man, it'd be a different day, wouldn't it? I mean, important stuff. And when you think of people who've made a huge difference in the world, you know, not many people would think about the 39th president of the United States. They didn't think he even did a very good job. But once he got out of office, man, people paid attention because he was a servant of God, right? He was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize for advancing democracy and human rights and economic and social development. President Carter was born a lowly peanut farmer. Again, God working at the edges. And he was a person of deep faith. Baptist. That's for you, Jim. He's a person of deep faith. He's a world changer. He served seven years as a naval officer, a person of deep faith and deep service. He served in state politics for more than eight years. He traveled extensively to to make peace around the world. He actually helped eradicate infectious disease. And he established the Carter Center in Atlanta to advance human rights and to alleviate human suffering. Before you go to bed tonight, I hope you'll say a prayer for him. He went into hospice this last week. World changer. Not because he was president. Because he's a man of service and love of God. I mean, Habitat for Humanity is a different place because of him today. Completely different. It's also true that God chooses the young. The very young. At the very beginning of the story of Jesus, it is Mary, the Theotokos, the very bearer of God. Again, Theo, God, Tokos, bearer of. And she was likely only 13 or 14 when the angel Gabriel appeared to her. Young, young woman. The scripture says, and he, Gabriel, came to her and said, greetings, favored one, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and wondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel says to her, do not be afraid, Mary. We have found favor with God. Yes, you're only 13, 14, but you are about to change the world. If you say yes to this calling, Gabriel goes on. He says, and now you will conceive and bear in your womb, bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. Other, other places in the Bible says because he will save his people from, his sin, from our sin. He will be great. He will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him to the throne of his ancestor David, the, the greatest king that they'd ever known. He was, you know, it was important that you come out of the line of David because he was the best. When you heard of King David, that was as good as it got. But remember, when did God start using King David? When he was just a boy. Just a boy when he fought that big, stinking, ugly, giant Goliath. Nobody else could do it. Nobody else wanted to do it. Here's this big, huge Goliath giant. And then there's this little boy, David. 
who's just used to, you know, being out in the field watching his dad's sheep. He wasn't even old enough to have his own sheep yet. Yet David goes to King Saul and he says, let no one's heart fail because of him, meaning Goliath. Your servant, me, will go and fight with this Philistine. Saul said to David, come on, man. You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are, say it with me, just a boy. Was he just a boy? God saw something else. He was just a boy and much more. And he has been a warrior from his youth. And David said, the Lord who saved me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will save me from the hand of the Philistine. It's not about me, David saying. It's about God. It's not about me. It's about him. Look what God will do. So Saul said to David, good luck. I mean, that's really what this means. Go and may the Lord be with you. May the Lord be with you. you know, good luck. Good luck. Friends, pay attention and say yes to God's call. No matter what, no matter your age or stage in life, God has something for you. And the world needs you to be you, who God made you to be all along. Paul writes to the early church about his protege, Timothy. He says, let no one despise your youth. Mm -mm. But it's not just because you're young. It's because you can set an example in speech and conduct and love and faith and purity. Read this with me. Do not neglect the gift that is in you. When you have a gift in you, do not neglect the gift that's in you. When I was a little boy, my mom used to read me Bernstein Bears books. Um, and this is my favorite of all time. I think it's because I'm pretty nostalgic. Like when I moved out of my parents' house, um, I was going through my stuff because they're like, you got to get my, your stuff out of my house. And so, uh, because I was got, about to get married to Chantel. And so I was going through my stuff and I had like movie tickets from seventh grade of some fun night with my buddies. I had straws that a cute girl had chewed on once. Like, <laughs> gross stuff. Just, you know, just like, like, help me remember stuff, right? And so this, 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 I think it's just who I am. I really do just love every person that's ever been a part of our church. Just to honor them, what they've done, the gifts they've shared. It's beautiful. Beautiful. So, my mom would say, old hat, new hat. And then he starts trying on the hats. Too big, too small, too flat, too tall. Too loose, too tight, too heavy, too light. Too red, too dotty, too blue, too spotty, too fancy, too frilly, too shiny, too silly, too silly. Too beady, too bumpy, too leafy, too lumpy, too twisty, too twirly, too wrinkly, too curly. Hats. Wait, he says, I see a hat I like, like a good pair of boots, it just fits right. Y'all who wear hats, you know this, it just fits right, broken in, it goes over, just right, just right, fits him just right, goes over to the mirror, the guy trying to sell him a hat's like, just right, you gotta be kidding me, you wasted my whole day, nope, nope, just right, just right, just right, just right. Just right. No, it's not about the new hat. Old hat. Look at how happy he is. This old hat. Friends, hear me. There is nothing to about you. There's nothing to about you. You are just right, just right, just right for what God has called you to do. For your family, certain relationships, you are exactly where you need to be to do what God has you to do. In the first service, our youth group largely sits right over here. 
Um, and here's the thing, particularly for young women, if you look at the news this past week, there's all kinds of really horrific studies about the mental health of our young girls these days. And here's the thing, to every young woman, every young man, don't let anyone tell you you're too anything. You're not too much. You're not too this. You're not too that. Your spouse will do it for you later. You don't have to put up with that, you know, when you're dating. Don't let them get in your head. You're not too anything. You're just right. What God has called you to do. And seriously, if you're in a marriage, you're just right too. We ought not be judging one another, competing against one another. You're on the same team. And your kids aren't too something. And your parents aren't too something. They're children of God. To be loved. Adam Hamilton says it like this. God uses you to accomplish his purposes no matter how unlikely a candidate you might be. You're not too old. You're not too young. And, and for those of us in between, God lifts us up, doesn't he? That's what the Bible says. Humble yourself so that you may be exalted. That's exactly what God did when he came in Jesus. He healed the sick. He touched the untouchables. He ate with sinners. Luke tells us this very clearly in chapter 5. The Pharisees, the religious folks, Pharisees and their scribes, right, the up and in, were complaining about to his disciples, Jesus' disciples, saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners, the down and out? Jesus answered, those who are well have no need of a physician, but, say it with me, those who are sick. That's why he came, because we need him. We need a savior. So Jesus also touched and healed the wealthy who were spiritually sick. They couldn't get out of their own way. How do we know this? Well, because Luke continues with the story. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi. We'll later know him as Matthew, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. Lo and behold, he did. He got up and left everything. And followed Jesus. Then Levi, our Matthew, gave a great banquet for him in his house. And there was a large crowd of tax collectors and others sitting at the table with them. Matthew was a great evangelist. As soon as he followed Jesus, he welcomed everybody else, all his tax collecting friends. He had friends in low places. And then they were all welcome. And Jesus shows up there. And yet, the Pharisees, the religious up and in, and their scribes, they were complaining to Jesus' disciples, saying, why do you eat and drink with these so-and-sos, tax collectors, sinners? And Jesus says again, I've come to call not the righteous, but sinners to repentance, to turn their lives toward God. So you had that kind of people who were outside, and you also had what was known as the people of the land. Around here, you still have that. People live on the wrong side of the tracks or folks that are in super rural areas and people don't take them seriously because they don't live in the city or they haven't been to college. He's like, no, 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 no. We're not judging them. Nope. But the people of the land was a phrase describing the poor and the powerless. We ought to remember that Jesus was poor and powerless when he started. Jesus was lowly from his birth, chose it to a peasant girl in a barn, all the way to the shame of the cross. Born into a horse trough and died in sticks with probably no clothes on at all. There was not a more humiliating way to die. He had no power. He was poor. That's who he came to. 
Paul says to us in the early church, friends, let the same mind be in you. That was in Christ Jesus, who, though he, though he was in the form of God, actually had the whole power of God, he didn't regard it, equality with God as something to be exploited. No, he emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness. He chose that, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient. That's the power. Obedient to God, to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has also exalted him, highly exalted him, and gave him the name that is above every name. Every name. God is ready to lift you up, lift the world up. That's what Easter's all about. We're on our way there. So if you've been poor or rich, rejected or dejected, sick or humiliated, God wants to use you to lift up the lowly. He does. He wants to use you. Lift them up. Lift them up. Well, I'm, not, I'm not sure how to do that yet. Well, you know what Jesus says about that? Pray. So each Wednesday here, we're going to open up the sanctuary. You are welcome to come between 11 and 1. Now, we'll have it ready for you. And you just come pray. You can sit in your chair. You can walk around. You can kneel here at the altar rails. Just ask God, what, what would you have me do? Use me. Use me. I'm not too old. I'm not too young. I'm not too much. I'm not too frilly or bumpy or lumpy or silly. Because you made me just right. You made me just right. If you don't know what to pray when you come on Wednesday or whenever you're praying, this is a good prayer. I invite you to pray it with me. Jesus, thank you for lifting up the lowly and loving the outsider. I want to follow you to be your apprentice. When you want to use me, please do. I offer my life to you. Amen. Amen. Just right. And Jesus taught us a prayer that is exactly right. Will you pray with me? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.